Jeddah, Tunisia, 28 November 1942. After the Operation Torch landings in French North Africa, the Allies made a general drive for Tunis, and General Nehring, the German in charge of the excess Tunisian bridgehead, was forced to scrape together units to slow the Allied advance. As the Allies gained momentum, they fought skirmishes against the various German and Italian formations in the area, sometimes attacking, sometimes defending, but always pushing the threadbare Axis forces back. Initial casualties to both sides were heavy. The poor weather worked to Nehring's advantage, however, since most of the Allied tactical air support was grounded due to the condition of their airfields. The predominantly all-weather airfields of the Luftwaffe, on the other hand, ensured that German air support was available, and it played a large role in helping to blunt the Allied drive on Tunis. One such airfield was just east of Jeddah, a mere dozen miles from Tunis, and on the 25th of November, it had suffered the dishonorable distinction of being overrun by a reconnoitering company of American light tanks. The Americans, however, lacking orders to hold the airfield and the infantry with which to accomplish such a task, had left the field to the Germans upon their withdrawal. Three days later, the mixed British and German battlegroup, known as Hartforce, was tasked with capturing and holding Jeddah and its accompanying airfield. Likewise, the German paratroopers of Kampfergruppe Weizig had orders to avoid the embarrassment of the earlier engagement. With the British infantry of the 5th Battalion Northamptonshire Regiment riding the American M3 Lee tanks of the 2nd Battalion 13th Armored Regiment, the attack began in the early afternoon following a morning of reconnaissance on the objective. Hello everybody and welcome to an extra ASL Extra. It's an extra extra. An extra with a little something extra. A double so, extra. A double extra. And uh, my name is Jeff. I'll be your host tonight. And with me in the broadcast foxhole is Joe. Say hi, Joe. Hello, everybody. And Rich. Hello. And we're doing something a little different tonight. We're not only doing an ASL extra wherein we have played a scenario. Well, I didn't play it. I'm just talking about it. Joe and Rich played a scenario, but they played a scenario sort of based upon a movie. So we'll be talking about the movie and talking about the scenario and... Um, Hopefully, this is going to be entertaining. So, welcome, guys. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Glad to be here. And we kind of got the idea for this way back uh, some months ago, and uh, just with scheduling, finally got it all together. So, yeah, my assistant got in touch with Rich's assistant. Yeah. And it was, yeah. You guys are so important. <laughs> yeah. But our, our people called the half squad people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hard to get it all together, but we got it coordinated now. And so. We had this idea to watch a movie and then play a scenario based on it. And the movie was? Sahara with uh, Humphrey Bogart from, I think, 1942 or 43. Yeah. Yeah, 1943. Not to be confused with the movie Sahara starring Matthew McConaughey that came out in 2004. And hopefully nobody watched because it was pretty bad. Yeah, this one's a way better movie in yeah, my opinion. Yeah, much better movie. So how did you guys, uh, how did you come upon this movie of all the movies to pick? Well, World War II movies. Well, I think Joe is the one who picked the movie, so I'll let him talk about that, but I'll talk about how we end up with the scenario, if that's the good way to do it. Yeah, sure. yeah excellent. Uh, yeah, I, I remember this movie as a kid, and I just remember it stuck in my mind, the the funny-looking tank, the tall tank with the, now I know is a Lee tank, but the, you know, the, the with the 75-millimeter gun on the, on the hull, and then the, the, the little turret gun, and I just, it stuck in my mind. I've watched this movie a few times, and then it came to mind that there's got to be, I know there's some scenarios out there that use this tank and lo and behold rich rich had a pretty excellent uh, application he knows about that did the search 
that really broke down the scenario by theater, by tank, by side, even to a point where it includes air support to, to represent the, the airplane in the movie. So had you seen this movie before, Rich? I had seen it. I probably hadn't seen it as many times as Joe, but I had seen it maybe once or twice before, you know, through the years. So I had recalled it, but of course I watched it again, you know, to refresh my memory yeah. since it had been a while. And then, uh, as Joe mentioned, I went to, uh, it's called ASL Scenario Archive, one word, dot com. And it's a search engine, search engine, as Joe mentioned, and it's really quite easy and quite useful. I looked for the theater, which is the desert, and I looked for the you know German and and British uh, units, and mostly I looked for the Grant tank because that's what you know he and I were kind of zeroing in on because mm-hmm. that was a key piece in the movie. And you know, lo and behold, this scenario popped up. We ended up with a scenario called Heart Attack. Uh, heart is spelled H-A-R-T. Heart attack. It's uh, it's from the ASL Union of Gamers from back in the '90s. I think that was. It's Aslug number seven. So that's the scenario we ended up playing that that seemed to uh, be representative of this movie. Of course, it's not exactly the same, right? You know, victory conditions or anything like that. Yeah. But it did have a lot of the same units and a lot of the same uh, features. And we'll, we'll talk perhaps a little bit about you know some of the things that had in common with the movie. Yeah. Could you tell well, when you read the scenario? How well it would fit with the movie, or was it not until you actually got into the scenario? You, you really no, I saw? could tell right away. I was oh. very pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Like one of the funny things is in the movie, they have a lot of riders in the beginning of the movie, but it's 1942. You know, the movie's representative of 1942. Yeah. And of course, in squad leader terms, it's against the rules to have riders in 1942. Right. Well, the scenario is also in 1942, but there's a special scenario rule that allows you to have riders. In 1942, it very specifically says that. So huh. that's to me, that was a great oh, yeah. analogy right off the bat. Yeah. Of course, it had the Grant tank featured as one of the, the key pieces in the scenario. There's actually five of them in the, uh, in the scenario. Mm-hmm. The uh, other things it had in common were, again, as Joe mentioned, the, the Stuka. There is a Stuka in the scenario and in the movie. Oh, okay. And so it just seemed to fit in a lot of, a lot of interesting ways, so... We thought it was a good one to play. And did you both watch the movie before you played the scenario? Yes, I watched yeah three quarters of it before we played the scenario. Then I, I watched it again tonight just to brush up on final little details. Ah, good idea. And I actually watched it today. I found a website called VO.com, V-E-O-H.com, that was uh, started a few years ago and uh, is a place where you can go and watch movies and TV shows and other videos and stuff like that free. I did a little look-up about this website, and actually they've declared bankruptcy (laughs) on February 10th of this month. Or were they arrested? They declared bankruptcy for some reason, so I don't think they're going to be there much longer, but if you can watch the entire movie at VO.com. So how about that? uh, Or or we'll also have a link on the show notes in case you want to buy it from Amazon. The other uh, interesting analogy that you just can't, you know, get over to just make it another remarkable analogy, I guess, is in the movie, of course, it's an American tank crew yeah. with primarily British infantry. And sure enough, in this scenario, there are American tank crews with British infantry. So, I mean, you couldn't get any closer than that as far as I was concerned, as far as the similarities. Yeah. Now, this, the movie featured an M3 tank, uh, a Grant tank. Wasn't yeah, there? I think that M3 and Grant are synonymous. Am I am I am I correct, Joe? Yeah, the Grant and Lee. They were both the Lee, yeah. I believe was the what the British called the Len-Lease version that the Americans gave to him. And I think 
they made very little changes. To, I think it's represented by the same counter. Uh, they might have made some minor changes to like the, the the gun, the machine gun, or something in the turret. But yeah. And there's two main armaments on the on this vehicle. There's the 37 millimeter, which is a turret mounted weapon, or part. Yeah, that's turret mounted. And then there's the 75 millimeter, which is a uh, well, it's not turret. It's bow mounted, I guess. So you have to turn the vehicle itself to to move that. Yeah. It's not turret mounted. Like so a tank to, destroyer. Yes. So that, but again, there's five of them in the scenario, whereas there's only one. Yeah. In the movie, and plays very a very important role in the movie. Uh, so why don't we talk about the movie? Uh, I've got a little the introductory music here. Let's just see if we can hear it. There's the Columbia lady. Hmm. Humphrey Bogart. Now this it says at the beginning that this is a film dedicated to the uh, Fourth Army Armored Corps of the Army Ground Forces, United States Army. Yeah, they were the ones that supplied the extras, the German extras. Oh, really? That you see in toward, especially towards the end of the movie. So those were not all actors, starving actors. <laughs> nope, just starving soldiers. <laughs> I wonder if any of those guys are still alive. There's, a lot, there's a lot of cool little trivia I mean, that I think Rich Rich is going to touch upon here. Yeah. And uh, this was directed by the fabulous Zoltan Korda, uh, who did a lot of other movies, but I don't know which ones. So, But anyway, let's talk about the movie a little bit. So what happens in the movie? What's it about? Well, the movie starts off with uh, Humphrey Bogart trying to repair his his American tank mm-hmm. from the rear. And I know you wanted to talk about that right off the bat, Joe, so why don't you just dive into that? Yeah, it, it start, the movie starts off supposedly in June of 1942 out in the desert. And then, uh, yeah, Humphrey Bogart is... Uh, in he the plays crew. A Sergeant Gunn. Sergeant Gunn, yes. He's the, the, the commander of a tank crew. There's only three of them left. So the other two, he doesn't explain how, but the other two were killed earlier. I'm assuming the, that was the officer that got killed because usually the officers were in charge of a tank. Mm-hmm. I thought, um, yeah, but they're starting out. The movie starts off with them repairing or trying to get the engine repaired so they can start the tank up and get out of there. And if you look at the doors, the doors look like they're the doors look like they're flimsy, fake. I would think they were fake, but I, I know for a fact they used a real Grant tank. Um, so anyways, how it relates to squad leader, you can definitely see, like, when, when you get a rear shot on a tank, yeah. you can see why it's almost death for a tank, because these doors, they just look really flimsy. It looks like there's no protection there. One shot, and that'd be it. Now, I would think, uh, since this w- took place in the desert, that they used screen doors on the back. Did they use uh, screen doors? Uh, no, they were not. <laughs> no? Well, it must get hot in there. <laughs> yeah, they, they show these guys all bundled up and stuff and with the helmets, and they don't really show them. It must have been well over 100 degrees in that tank. Oh, my gosh. It must. I would think so. And Humphrey Bogart spends the entire movie in a jumpsuit, uh, buttoned up tight with a, with a big utility army belt on and gloves and then, uh, and then a leather hat. And when and he takes his hat off, his hair is always immaculate. It's perfect. It looks yeah. like it's hairsprayed and it, it looks perfect. <laughs> 1940s style movies. Yeah. So they're uh, so they're trying to fix this tank, and uh, so what happens? What's the situation? Well, they find a way. Then I think they're ordered on the radio by the British uh, commander to retreat, 
And so they start heading uh, back, I guess, in reverse because they're surrounded on three sides, I guess, according to the radio uh, commander. Yeah, they're told to head south. That's their only choice. Yeah. So they take off. And they're heading through the desert. And they come across uh, a bombed-out field hospital. And there's some, you know, some stragglers uh, from different nationalities there. There's some British guys. There's a free French guy. What else is there? There's a Sudanese. Yeah, South African. Frenchy. Did you yeah. ever say the French? Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. So it's it's a mix of I don't know how many were there like six or eight, yeah, yeah. six or something. Yeah. And then was there an Italian prisoner? Yeah, there was an Italian prisoner of the Sudanese soldier. If I'm yeah, they, that right. they come yeah. upon those guys a little bit. Oh, later. that's right. That's later. Yeah. That's later. Yeah, they pick up these these guys from the field hospital. Uh, well, they don't pick them up, but they go there and they say, "Look, we, we're going south." And uh, there's some resistance by one of the British. Yeah, it's one funny. Or two it's of the a, British officers, you know, they get a little the classic indignant. British. Yeah, yeah, British versus American. Don't yeah. want to take the Americans' help. And right, and we don't need your help, Americans. Americans. Yeah. <laughs> But it's better to ride, even, yeah. though, even though you're not allowed to ride tanks in 1942, yeah. according to the rules. Yeah. yeah, they figure out, they somehow manage to learn to get on top and, <laughs> <laughs> and say, hey, this works. We don't have to walk. So, so a bunch of these guys, like five or six of these guys, they hop on the tank and uh, they start heading south. Somewhere along the way, they come upon a Sudanese sergeant major who has an Italian prisoner with him. Right. That's when that happened. A little bit yeah. while later. That's right. Mm-hmm. And they, what do they do to uh, track them over? To uh, do they fire like a shot, you know, near them? But yeah, rifle shot, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, rifle shot to the front in front of them or something. Yeah, and then they, uh, I think there's a debate about whether they should take the Italian on, you know, along with them or not. Right. And Humphrey Bogart says, "No, we're not taking them. We don't have enough water. We don't, you know." And one of the one of the other guys, one of the British guys, says, "Don't you think we should take him? I, I think we should take him." And Humphrey Bogart says, "Well, you you won't think that when when we're out of food and water, so we're going to leave him." Mm-hmm. So they leave him, and they're they're driving off. This poor Italian guy, he's a, he's a very sweet guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he begs, just begs <laughs> he's begging, oh, "Please, a Signora, don't leave me in the desert." <laughs> My but then, and the, but off they go, they go off, and then and, and the music comes up. It's a beautiful soundtrack. You feel so sorry for this guy. He's being left in the middle of the desert. He's got a coating of dust on his face. Yeah, I mean, the way they, they just you know just every worst scenario look you can get. And he's he's clutching this picture of his wife and his child in his hand. You know, and you're just you're feeling so bad for him. But you know, it's war. So they get the tank gets a couple hundred yards down the road, and then they they stop. Humphrey Bogart gets a soft spot in his heart and after a little bit more music plays yeah a little more music plays so they wave him up he gets on and and off they go and then uh so then they they have this encounter with uh an airplane yeah first first battle of the gun now this is interesting because uh a stuka pilot attacks and they deliberately withhold their fire so that the stuka pilot believes that they're out of ammunition because they want them to come as close as possible before they actually let them have it and he attacks, what, two, three times, and one of the British soldiers is shot. Actually, uh, Lloyd Bridges Oh, the, uh, is the guy that gets shot. That, does he play a British soldier, or does he play um, an American? I think he plays one of the Americans. Okay. No, 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 he's one of the British. Is he? Yeah, the one who dies, the one yeah. who gets shot. Yeah. Oh, he's okay. a British guy? He's he doesn't die right away, but he's, right. he's, 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 hurt. he's hurt. Yeah. And so he does attack two, three times. I didn't count. Yeah, he does a strafing... Strafing across them as he goes. Yes, and here. on the third or fourth run, that's when they let him have it. When he comes pretty close with their machine guns, and they shoot down the plane, and the pilot uh, 
para drops to safety, even though the yeah. plane is destroyed. And so, again, in squad leader terms, I didn't look at the counter, but I think a 1942 Stuka with that little star with the little armor number inside the star, it's probably mm-hmm. a one or a two. I'm just trying to think of this in squad leader terms. And if you look at the unarmored vehicle uh, chart on the IFT, and if it was, a, say, a four-firepower machine gun, I don't know if that's what it was, but perhaps it was, that number is a four, mm-hmm. and if you subtract the one or the two for the armor of the of the Stuka, you pretty much would have needed, I think, a two, at best a three, to cause that to happen. You'd have needed a really good roll. Oh, I to, would think so. To knock down the plane. Yeah. And of course, there are no pilot survivals in Squad Leader, but this was a movie. So, but yeah. anyway, I thought it could happen in Squad Leader, but it would be pretty remarkable. I've never played with the, with with any aviation in Squad Leader, so I got to do that. Have you played one, Joe? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, this one. <laughs> oh, yeah, this one, right. I've played a few, but, yeah, it's funny. I I, I used to steer away from those because I always thought, because ah, it, the rule itself is kind of abstract. I mean, there's a lot of generalities that they, okay, they to, to keep the game moving along. And so that's why I didn't want to play it because Squad Leader, you're going, like, is one of the most detailed board games there are. And then you have this really abstract rule like, okay, you know, maybe the pilot sees it, and if he does, you you kind of figure out this number you need to hit the tank. I mean, it's kind of generalized. And then the machine, the anti-aircraft fire involved and all that. And actually in the movie, I think the movie's supposed to represent a fighter bomber or a fighter because he doesn't drop any bombs. He just kind right. of strafes. Right, good point. Yeah. But uh, but now I've, I've gotten more and more into it. I, I think it is kind of a, a neat little thing. Once you learn the rules, there's a lot of cheat sheets out there to help you with air support. Yeah, yeah, it's not too terrible, but you don't use it often enough that it's usually not fresh you in your mind. It. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's always been my problem. But, yeah, I like him. So uh, the German bails out and, and lives, and they take him as a prisoner. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of their, besides just moving south, they're looking for water. And this uh, Sudanese sergeant that they, that they have with them knows where the wells are. So, and th- this was a question of mine. Now, the first... Uh, the first time they say where where we we need to get water, where we and he says, well, I know where there's a well. It's about seventy miles south of here. So they go to the first well, uh, which is seventy miles, and they get there, and the well is dry. Then they say, okay, well, this well is dry. Where's the next well? Well, the next well is fifty miles away. Anybody know what the range is on an M three? That's exactly what I wrote down in my notes. Okay, because it's the same thing. He says sixty miles. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, they go sixty miles in a tank, right? And then in the sand, in the sand, in the sand, down, yeah. Terrible gas, yeah. And then they then they go another fifty, yeah. And I want to, yeah. So I was wondering, well, what's the range? I don't, I don't think the range is too far for those tanks. I think they pretty much, and even though you can assume they took some gas out of them when they came across that that bombed out. Um, uh, medical station. They had yeah. some vehicles there. Oh, maybe so. Yeah, maybe they you, took gas. They don't mention they in the movie, it, but yeah. you wonder would they? They were they were real uh, um, strict about the water, but you would assume they were going to siphon the the, the gas yeah, out of the ground. Yeah, probably car. so. So maybe that's how they did it. I actually did look up the range on these. What is it? about 120 miles? Okay, really? Yeah. So then it is feasible. So it's, it's it's feasible within, but I don't know. I don't know through sand and stuff like that. I don't know, but. Anyway, we'll cut him some slack. We'll what are go, we going to we'll do? Go, we'll, yeah. go <laughs> we'll go with it. <laughs> Put a disclaimer on the movie. Who are we going to sue? Yeah. I'd like my $3 back, please, on your rental. <laughs> this was not very realistic. 
So then they so they find this next well, which is which is some sort of a fortification too. Is it like an old? Is it a? It's a mosque or something. Do you remember? I actually don't remember. Yeah, it looked like just sort of a uh, small little dome covered stone structure. Structure. Yeah. Yeah, made to look like something out in the Sahara Desert. Yeah. And it's funny because when I first watched this movie years ago, and then when I watched it last year, I. As I was watching, I thought, I love watching this movie because it's so exotic, exotic locations, mm-hmm. you know. And I like to watch it in the winter here in Chicago when it's so bloody cold because, you know, it's like being at the beach. Um, but actually, they didn't film the movie in the Sahara, uh, probably because they filmed this in 1942 and they didn't want to be filming in a war zone. <laughs> Would have been pretty dangerous. So where did they actually film this? Well, according to the notes that Joe and I looked up, they filmed it in the in a desert in California. Let's see, where is the exact desert name? It says it here somewhere, but it was in Southern California. And again, as Joe mentioned, they used American soldiers to pretend they were the Germans. We haven't gotten to that part yet. Yeah, the Mojave Desert of Southern California. Okay. Uh, other interesting points that I think we lost over that I meant to mention, just again, squad leader rules compared to the movie. Yeah. When they almost they almost invoke no quarter oh. with that Italian prisoner, if you want to call it that. Oh yeah, right. Other, well, not really no quarter. No quarter would mean you eliminated him. They didn't eliminate him. They just sort of left him there. They left an unarmed unit, I guess. So, and, and in squad leader, you can do that. You can leave the prisoner, the prisoner unarmed, just wandering around. We already talked about the riders. The other interesting thing is the Allied leadership. There, there are rules in squad leader, if you recall, about an Allied leader. I think his his morale, or not his morale, but his effectiveness is a little is one less than it normally is when he's trying to rally or or direct the fire of uh, allied troops that are not his exact nationality. Oh, so oh, oh, so oh. if if Sergeant Gunn Humphrey Bogart is indeed the leader of this group, which yes. I think he he was, if if he's directing the non-American units, he would be a little less effective. Here's a question: How would you rate both of those leaders? Like uh, Humphrey Bogart, I would rate as like a nine-one armor leader then that british medical officer he was kind of like well you know he's well, i'll let the enlisted guy be in charge so yeah and wh- what would you rate him i mean just out of curiosity i always like i don't know seven seven oh yeah i'd say sure i would say seven oh we'll go with that yeah okay yeah he wasn't too effective also the uh there's a lot of startup rules at least would be the analogy i would use yeah exactly kept, the tank kept sputtering and Right, having to get you know worked on from time to time, so those are sort of analogous to a startup role and squad leader. I thought. And are there startup roles uh, related specifically to desert? I don't remember from our uh, actually from our no cams and sand blowing scenario. If we had a startup, we didn't penalty. we didn't have sand in our scenario. It was a desert scenario we played, but it was not with sand. So I don't know the rules of sand. Maybe you know them, Joe. I don't know the sand rules. Yeah, I want to say from Tarawa that. When you start up, you, you got in the sand. The, the tanks are going to have to do a, a bog check. Yeah, I want to say there are. There is also running out of fuel rules in uh, in squad leader. I think it's an SSR where you roll, uh, and I can't remember exactly how it works, but if you roll a certain something on the color die roll based on the special rule, and then you move that many movement points, in other words, it's a secret die roll. So your opponent makes the roll secretly. And then he watches to see how many movement points you you use, and if you exceed the number, you've run out of fuel. He can call that on you. Wow. So you're kind of playing a risk by even moving. So that's a special rule that doesn't happen very often. But again, that would be analogous to a squally rule that does exist that seemed to be happening to them. Of course, yeah. of course there's the heavy dust. 
Yeah, they had a nice sandstorm in the movie. A lot of that. Really? <laughs> it's kind of a funny, I thought it was kind of a funny scene where they're in the sandstorm. Humphrey Bogart is in the tank looking out through the front port, driving it. And it's like there's somebody out in front just throwing like buckets full of sand through the window. <laughs> and, and, he's, and he's hunched over there. And the guy, there's a guy sitting behind him saying, I don't know how you can see or something like that. And Humphrey Bogart turns around and he goes, yeah, it's pretty tough. And all you can see are his white teeth, his mm-hmm. big white teeth. And then his face is just covered with sand. And he turns back to the front and somebody throws another bucket of sand. In front of the that. fan or something. In front and, of a fan. Yeah. yeah, how else could they do it? Yeah, I don't know. But I, I bet he was glad when, they, uh, when that scene was done. <laughs> Brush his teeth. Oh, yeah. There's also the uh, prisoner interrogation. Which again is a special rule in Squad Leader. I think oh. it's in Chapter E, and it's again only invoked if there's a special rule that calls for it. But it's yeah. there, yep. and they did try to find out information from their prisoners. Yeah, and then they captured more prisoners later, which we haven't gotten to yet, where they interrogated them as well. So we'll, yeah. we'll hold that thought until we get to that part later. So then, what happened next? They uh, captured the German guy, and they got to the second well. They got to the second well, and they found water there, so they decided to stay. Dripping at one drip per minute or something. Yeah, Yeah, it wasn't coming out too fast, but they did have some containers and they were gathered the water and uh, and they were actually pretty comfortable there. I guess their their idea was to stay there for as long as it took them to gather enough water so they could make it the rest of the way back to their lines or whatever. But before they could leave, um, what happened? Some Germans showed up, some Germans who were also looking for water. Right, they did show the German camp, like, you know, also running low on water and also knowing where this well might be. And refresh my memory, I didn't see it as recently as you. Yeah, and then they, so they send a, a, a half track that looks really familiar, like an American half track with a big swastika on it. Ah. <laughs> looks like a, what is it, the M5 half track, but with an American machine gun in it. But they send like four guys to, to go look to the second well, which still just happens to be the well where these guys are sitting at. And um, so they they cautious, cautiously uh, approach the, the 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 building where Humphrey and his crew are uh, hanging out and they're hiding, and then uh, then they shoot the uh, the Germans dead and capture two prisoners, and then they start talking to them. They start interrogating them, um, and then take it. Do you, do you remember anything from there? I'll let you keep going. I think okay. they do send them back with a message, don't they? Well, they keep them. They decide what to do. They try to get them to talk, and then they they get them. They tr- they like they're pouring gla- uh, water out of the canteen, mm-hmm. and they're trying to uh, get them to break down and talk. And the one guy won't talk, and so the second one he he wants the water. So then he he uh, he starts talking, telling them that there's a whole battalion following them, and they need this water. They're coming this way, and so uh, Humphrey Bogart decides to let the two go to uh, to tell the Germans that, yeah, there's plenty of water here to come here. And then Humphrey Bogart's plan is to uh, delay him as long as possible, no matter what it takes. It's supposed to be 500 guys to these 10. And so that's what happened. They let, they let the two go, and then the one German kills the other German, the one that talked. And so pretty soon, I guess the next day, the 500 Germans come and they, they get ready to attack. And then that's when uh, Humphrey Bogart, they fight him off one time, and they go back and forth, basically... The Germans and the Americans, or they have like a, a white flag and they go out and talk and the Germans want them to surrender and Humphrey Bogart says, no, we want you to surrender. And then they talk about making a, uh, 
you know, you give us your guns, we'll give you some water. Yeah, for every gun you give us, we'll give you one pint of water. For a mortar, a quart. A quart, yes, yeah. you remember that. Yeah. Right. And that's really the crux of the movie is the guns yeah. for water. And yes. the rest of the movie is sort of this this back and forth with some battles and... Um, Smoke and mirrors, yeah they're, yeah. they're kind of at a standoff. The Germans make a couple attempts, and one by one the poor British soldiers get knocked off, either by snipers or... Um, yeah. Snipers yeah. and stuff, yeah. yeah. And back to the um, the squad leader analogies again for the for the battles and so forth. First of all, just a sort of a corny one, but I observed that they actually had to use reverse movement for the Grant to back it up into the position that it was in a defensive posture with its, with its rear against that little building we were talking about. Mm-hmm. They must they didn't show the reverse movement; they just show that it ended up there. But there's no way it could have gotten there without reverse movement, right? So. Reverse movement in sand has got to be a lot of movement points, I'd imagine. I would imagine, Huge. yeah. So that was one. They dug foxholes, which is a common thing in Squad Leader. Right. They planted some mines. Now, mine planting is not in Squad Leader, but you know, mines themselves are, of course. Right. And then there was that, what I call a critical hit from a German mortar on that mm. stone building that we're talking about. Yes. Which, uh, which I think killed, I'm not sure how many guys, at least one. Too. It, ki- it killed the American uh, machine gunner, and then it killed the doctor, the Mr. Seven O. <laughs> the, the yeah, the British doctor. The British right. doctor. Yeah. yeah. So again, I was just looking for the little squad leader analogies yeah. as, as things well, like that occurred. Yeah, that's a classic example of what a critical hit. I mean, it was dead on, and that was it. Then they also had a prisoner escape. Yeah, an escape prisoner. Good point. Yep. And uh, who was then pursued? So the German, the German that they had captured earlier. Uh, the pilot. The pilot. He killed the Italian. That's guy. right. That's right. He stabbed him. And he had tried to get the Italian to work with him. And the Italian said, look, I don't want to, we're not like you. Mussolini might be bad, but he's no Hitler. Something like that, right? Yeah, a little bit yeah. of politics. Yeah. yeah, a little bit of that going. And uh, so the German guy kills the Italian guy. And then during, in the midst of the fray where the Americans are very occupied by fighting off the rest of the Germans, this German prisoner runs out and tries to escape. Uh, the Sudanese sergeant then chases him down, and they have a close combat encounter. <laughs> one on one. Two on single one. man counters, yeah. Hand to hand, one on one. Yeah. Yep. So somebody must roll the seven. <laughs> or better. Or better. Yeah. Uh, the German guy ended up with his face in the sand and stopped breathing. So, And the Sudanese guy, when he was running back to the lines, was gunned down. Right, so somebody shot into the melee. Yeah, yeah. So, and I think that was that was pretty much it. Then they they held out. Is that right? Pretty much it. Rest of the movie. Well, and then in the end, the, the Germans got you know desperate because they yeah. really were truly out of water and really dying of thirst, and they had tried attacking one several last times. time. Yeah, one last time, and then they got repulsed, and then they just finally said heck with it. They throw their rifles down, and then they just start surrendering, and. So it's basically three guys take, uh, take uh, I don't know, well over 100 prisoners. Right, and of course I noted that was a gross violation of the squad leader <laughs> prisoner guard rules <laughs> where you can only guard five times your unit size. I mean, even if you give the unit size a, you know, call them a half squad, even call them a squad, which they weren't at the end. They were perhaps more like a half squad. Half squad yeah, that right. means you could guard two and a half squads in, in, in squad leader rules you could, and it was... Way, way, way more than that. It was like around 100, like you said, Joe. Yeah, it was like 10 squads. There. So, again, that's not a reason to return the movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All 
All in all, though, how would you rate the film? I feel like uh, for a classic movie, um, three out of five stars. Yeah, I'd give it about that. You know, it's not, you know, by modern standards, of course, it, it, it's difficult to compare. But for as quickly as they put it together and as hard as they tried to, to make it you know, realistic, I think they did a pretty good job with the technology they had back then. Yeah. Yeah, it's a decent movie. I would rate it four, personally. I thought it was, it's one of my favorite uh, classic war movies. And I think it holds up pretty well. I like all, I'm, I liked all the characters. They were all very interesting. And it was an hour and 37 minutes long. And I was pretty engaged. For uh, for most of the movie, I didn't didn't feel like it was too old fashioned or anything. So it's always nice to see Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, I like him. So yeah, for that it was alone. It was worth it. Yeah. Well, any other uh, bits on the movie that we want to discuss? Yeah, and what would a review of a movie uh, be without the bloopers? (laughs) People always try to find the mistakes. Oh, you're kidding me! And I just. Got lucky and caught this one. It's uh, towards the end of the movie when uh, Humphrey Bogart's uh, next to the tank and he's working on the ta- some part from the tank or uh, working on a machine gun, and he's uh, talking with the Italian, and they're talking about what to do, what they're going to do after the war, what they want to do in the future or something. And you'll notice in one cut, Humphrey Bogart has like a crescent wrench and he's working on it. Then they do from a different cam- camera angle and he has a screwdriver. And then they go back to the the different camera camera angle, and he's using like a, a different type of wrench totally. So it's like you can tell they've done this like in three three different takes, and it's just an obvious. And it's like he has he's using one tool, and then the next the next cut it's another tool, and it just it was just a minor. I always wonder about stuff like that. First of all, I'm outraged. I didn't see that. I, I might have to take the movie back for again. This. We may have to buy more <laughs> copies and just burn them. <laughs> I'm a mechanic, and you know. It's just... I always wonder though, why doesn't the actor remember from day to day what they were holding on to in a scene like that? I always wonder about. You that. would think they would. You would think. So okay, I'm moving Humphrey Bogart down my list. Not too far though. Any more bloopers? No, that was the only one I could oh, really. Oh, okay. well, that's <laughs> not too bad. <laughs> no, not bad at all. Yeah, considering the time frame. Yeah, it's not like they got into a tank and got out of a jeep. Or something, <laughs> nothing right. that bad. Or like a Cadillac drives in the back of the of the scene, like yeah. they did, like in the Lone Ranger series. Or, right. Uh, it would be impossible, though, for you know eight guys or so to hold off a couple hundred or more. That really would be, I think, impossible. I mean, again, thinking in, I'm thinking in terms of squad leader terms, that would be at least twenty squads to one. I mean, how could you? How could you do it? And you could even further try to make it even plausible by saying, "Okay, all the Germans have a zero ELR." So as soon as the the, the half squads fire the machine gun, it's like one morale check. They would start breaking. They would start. It's all the minus two for out in the open and all that stuff. And you still probably are going to have plenty of squads just to rush that position. And, and, and right, and yeah. they had the Grand Tank too. So throw that in there too. The the defenders did, but still, yeah, right. There there would they would have been able to encircle. Right. They didn't. Yeah. They didn't. They should and have. They didn't. Or and the mortar. Just, yeah, they had a mortar, and that, that's a stationary position. It would have been so easy just to keep plunking mortar down. Yeah. Sooner or later, they get a critical hit or whatever. Now, if they had been Russians, they could have done the human wave. That's right. But they were Germans, and Germans don't do the human wave. What do they do? They don't do that. Apparently, they just hang out and well, just get shot. <laughs> they're smart. They, yeah, they don't <laughs> They have they don't Panzerfaust die. and anti-tank magnetic mines, <laughs> yeah. but not in 1942, they don't. Yeah. yeah. So they have to do it the hard way. But anyway... Yeah, it's a movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. 
Good to watch. Fun to watch and and fun to then relate it to squad leaders. So then you've, you've got this scenario, and how did that go? Well, the scenario is quite different. The scenario, the British and the Americans are on the attack, and the Germans are on the defense. The Germans have and one of their good old 88L uh, anti-aircraft or mm-hmm. anti-tank, actually, mm-hmm. guns, and they also have a couple of tanks that come to reinforce them in the middle of the game. And so it's, you know, again, there's no well involved. There's no, yeah. you know, it's not that. And there's no, like, it, it, is in, it is sort of a desert scenario, but the terrain is really, it's in Tunisia, but it's really not desert terrain. They have, like, olive groves as one of the special terrain features, oh. which are, you know, unique. They're kind of like orchards, except they also have a plus one TEM as well as a plus one hindrance. Okay. And that gives the British a little bit of covering terrain as they move forward on the German positions. And the British also have these, uh, they call them gammon bombs. It's kind of like they have an inherent demolition charge with them. It's not as powerful as a demolition charge. It's a little weaker. But they have these inherent gammon bombs, and they have to roll, I think, what is it, two or three or less or something like that, Joe? Right. It's it's similar to the ATMMs, I thought, the anti-tank magnetic mines where you need like a three or below to have possession of one. And once you do, then your odds are increased in the actual close combat phase when you go to attack the tank right if you're attack, but you can also attack infantry with them too right but again and, you need to roll lower than the number to have them but but they're inherent so like you can any any british squad or half squad can roll for it he's got uh, nothing to, he's got nothing to lose yeah so that's a, a good thing i i played the british and i had the five grant tanks but they have inexperienced crews so that which means you have like, like kind of like a six plus one armor leader is inside each one is what that means and they break down on an 11. Both both of those guns break down on an 11. So you pretty much want to keep them buttoned up because with the 6 morale, you know, they're unlikely to pass any morale checks that they'd have to take. So you want to keep them buttoned up. The really power, most powerful weapon that the British have is their OBA. And it's an OBA guy, and he's on level 5, which is very high, yeah. on a board edge. And so I looked, at, I looked the scenario over before Joe and I played, and I saw some of the major places that you could see from level five, which is pretty good. And so I tried to throw some smoke, which allowed my infantry to move in. And Joe took some photographs, which you're going to post, I understand, you know, along with our comments here right. for this scenario, for those who want to check out the scenario. And it really is a really fun scenario. I think it's pretty balanced. I don't think we're going to analyze the scenario to death here as far as, you know, like a normal ASL extra where you'd really get into it. We're not, right. that's not our purpose here today. But, you know, the, the radio is key for the British to throw some smoke and put some cover down. I think I did foolishly use uh, HE on one occasion. <laughs> and I'll let Joe to talk about that because it's too heartbreaking for me to say. Well, you lost two tanks in that game. I got one with, uh, with uh, what was it, my, my uh, I believe it was with my 88L gun. It came out of hiding and... and I think it tagged that tank. Um, but more interestingly, your second tank, you were, you brought down your OBA in the same area because there were some of my units around there. And I think your thinking was um, a buttoned-up tank, high-explosive OBA. It's probably not going to do anything to the tank. And what do you do? You get a critical hit and take out your own tank. Yep, I did. But I did get smoke out of the deal because then it was a burning wreck, Yeah, which gave my infantry some cover. Yep, that's, that's something. That's the only good thing about some it. Some consolation. Can I ask an ignorant question? Well, it's a good question, but it's it's because I'm ignorant. It's your oh. show. It's your show. We have to let you. <laughs> yeah, we can't say no. The six plus one leader. There really was a like a six plus one armored leader. 
I don't. I don't know if there's a counter that has a six plus one armor leader in it. That the rules simply say you you just treat it as if you have a six plus one armor leader inside. Uh, where does the plus one actually come in? Well, for all your shots, you got to add one. So you have for to add one for buttoned your, up so you and have another to, one. You yes. have to use the leader. Yes, you must. I see. And then I think the rules technically say, like, let's say you had a negative one armor leader, like you normally would have. The rules say the first gun you fire is the one that gets the negative one of the armor leader not the second gun. So Joe and I discussed this, and we yeah. agreed that if that's the rule for a normal armor leader, then that should be the rule ah. for this one too. So, But it's kind of reverse logic. So I did have to add plus one for the first shot on the first gun, but then I didn't have to add the plus one penalty on the second gun. Yeah. I mean, we agreed that we would inter- treat it the same way. Yeah, okay. I don't think that made a difference, but it might have. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't think it did. I don't think so either. But it's a good scenario again. It, what were uh, the, the what uh, boards are used? Let's see. There's three board, no four boards. Boards uh, 11, 17, 10, and 35, and you just use half of each, so you end up with you know two full board yeah. equivalents. And there's a number of overlays. There's five orchard overlays that you use, or is there four over? No, there's four orchard overlays, and one small building overlay. What uh, module do the overlays come in? Anybody remember? I don't know. Well, they're orchards, so I'm sure that that's uh, one of the earlier basic. It's one of your just basic run-of-the-mill overlays. Uh, right. They're not. Exactly. They're not rare. They're they're pretty you know straightforward, okay. common. None of the desert wadi or any of the the desert overlays. They're just a plain old orchard building. Right, and those are not the desert boards. You you know the listeners might know from the numbers I I read off. Those are not desert boards. So this is not really a desert scenario. It's in Tunisia, yeah, but it's really more of a standard scenario. And what are the orders of battle like? Well, um, the Germans. The Germans have a uh, 88L anti-aircraft uh, gun used as an anti-tank gun. It starts off hip. It's got uh, eight good squads, eight uh, elite squads, 548s. And some pretty good leadership, a 9-2, a 9-1, and a 8-0. And they got a heavy, a medium, and some lights. Of course, demolition charge and uh, a mortar. And then they also on, uh, is it turn four, the, they got two uh, uh, Panzer three tanks with a 9-1 leader. So, the, I mean, they're they're loaded for bear. They're they're, they're pretty well-equipped Germans. Yeah. And you get a fighter bomber, don't forget. And then, of course, the, uh, the, the fighter bomber air support comes into play on turn five. And the British, they have nine four, five, sevens that kind of set up as infantry, and they have a really good 10 negative 2 leader to go along with that, and some odd weapons, some machine guns, some mortars, some things. I, I shouldn't belittle the mortars. The, the, the small mortars both have smoke, S7, I, as I recall. So, again, I, I'm a big proponent of smoke, and yeah. so I always look for opportunity to have that. Then yeah. the second group, again, they got these five American AFVs, the, the, the Lee Grant tank, or the M3 Lee tank, I should call it. And then they have five British squads riding per that special rule that we talked about right. on the, the five tanks. So they're kind of in a different group on a different board, moving moving kind of on the other side, kind of sweeping around the Germans. And so then the British have to take, uh, what does it say here? they got to control all stone building locations within six hexes of a given hex by the game end, but they got to do that without losing uh, 50 casualty victory points Mm. and i counted in my notes here that there are 25 stone building hexes that they have to take to satisfy that victory condition which is quite a few 
and do that without losing, you know, as I mentioned, 50 points worth of equipment or, you know, units. It's a good scenario. I think it's balanced. I don't know what the record is on Roar. Do you know? Uh, I thought it was it was pretty even. I don't remember the exact number, but it was wasn't too far off on wins versus loss. How many turn? How many turns is it? Eight. Seven and a half. I got. Seven and a half. Yeah, it's an old style, meaning long, long scenario, almost eight turns. You know, I think the key is the eighty-eight L really has to be in a great spot, and your spot was fine. But as I recall, I think I you did kill one tank with it, but I think I must have just been fortunate that I stopped most of my tanks such that he couldn't see it, and then I knew where it was. Yeah, then it melted on turn three. Yeah, okay, so which which makes me a very skillful player. In addition to yeah, in addition to that, <laughs> but I critical hit myself too. So yeah, you helped me, and I still only managed. I have in my notes here like seventeen points, seventeen victory points I got off of you. The two tanks, um, you know, a couple squads here and there, but uh, yeah, I think I did. I think I was fortunate with the radio too. Didn't the radio usually come within a hex or so of where it wanted to be? As I recall, the radio worked pretty well. Right. Although you had a scare for a moment that your very first card you took, the OBA card, the battery access, right, you got it was a red. red. Right, but then it was out. Yeah. I, was, I mean, it was gone after that. Yeah. The red card was. so, And the British have eight black and two red, so there was only one red left, which you might say, I mean, so I was thinking that was a good thing because now yeah. the odds of me getting a red card were only one in nine. Yeah. But you were probably thinking it's going to run out. If, if he hits that luck. red card, it's history. But I did keep it for a few turns and. But anyway, I recommend the scenario quite a bit to your listeners, and you can post these uh, these pictures to see some of the setup and some of the mid game. Uh, you know where we were at mid game. And then, uh, yeah, those are great pictures too. How long did it take to play? Uh, well, it's right around three hours. Yeah, that sounds right. Oh, so pretty manageable. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. So, well, that's cool. That's great. Well, guys, uh, that's it. I guess we've covered all the bases and. Um, that was a very good report. What would be fun for another scenario slash movie combo? There's got to be hundreds. A number if we, of them. If we did a little looking, uh, we can probably find some good ones. I know one that I really want to do is PT one hundred and nine. I would love. <laughs> I would love to hear that. I think yeah. that would be. A, that's another good show and right I, there. And I'm looking for that movie. It's uh, it's not out on DVD. It's only out on. VHS, and uh, so if anybody has it and I can borrow it, that would be great because the, all the copies that I'm seeing for sale are like fifty or sixty dollars, I guess, because it really? can't be got. Yeah. Now, is that so, the story of JFK? It is. Yeah. And there it, is a scenario for uh, called yeah. PT109 from uh, LFT. Right. Really, I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah, we Jeff and I played it. Oh. It's got. It's quirky. I mean, it's 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 different, and you know, it's got uh, two. MTBs, motor torpedo boats, trying to, uh, the Americans are fighting, doing a fighting withdrawal through the jungle, trying to get to the beach, being harassed and chased by some Japanese. They got to get to the beach and get off the the beach on these transports. Yeah. And the name of the scenario is called PT-109. Perfect. Yeah. So I think that's uh, that's definitely going to be on the books, but we'll see. We'll see what else we can come up with. I'm sure uh, the listeners are going to have some good suggestions when they hear this. I'm hoping so, yeah. I'm hoping so. So... Well, that's it, uh, everybody. Thanks for listening. And uh, any closing remarks from anybody? Uh, thanks again for uh, having us no, on the show. Can, it's time to get the sand out of your shoes. <laughs> All right. We'll uh, talk to you next time, everybody. Thanks. Bye.